We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McCackney, joined by Mario Puig. This podcast presented by our friends over at Dynasty Owner today. Part two of our draft recap. So obviously Monday earlier this week, we took a look at, at the rookies and, and you know their, their their landing spots, what it all means for them and their, their year one projection and beyond. We're going to flip the, the script this time. We're going to talk about the veterans affected both positively and negatively by how their teams approached the draft last week. So let's get into it. Welcome back in. Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. John McKechnie, Mario Puig, hanging out with you here, breaking down the veteran side of last week's NFL draft talk and who got impacted the most, both positively and negatively. You know, this is a class where a lot of the early round guys were, were receivers. We talked a lot about the receivers on Monday, so we won't spend a ton of time there, uh, but we will. Uh, of course, you know, still stuff to, to get into a lot of, a lot of guys. Being Not much there. time for us is like 25 minutes or something. I, yep. I, I always say it, or, or, you know, back, back in the day before we, we like officially kept these two an hour is like, no, oh, this will be a short one. And then like an hour, 35 minutes. And it's like, you want to wrap it up? I mean, I can keep going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, we'll, we'll try not to drown everyone in tedium, but uh, we could, if we wanted to, so be grateful. See, exactly. Um, so I, yeah, some of the running backs, because like there, there weren't a ton of them drafted, but you know, where they did, there's some interesting spots, you know, a couple of backfields that, that weren't looking particularly good going into last week that they, they got some, you know, added rookie boosts. And I, I think that, you know, the, the markets have kind of gone crazy with, with some of this stuff, you know, the, the expectations on, on some of these um, rookie running backs, but, you know, relative to, you know, how we viewed them as prospects, I think, some people are a little bit over their skis on some of these guys. So we're going to, we're going to try to set the record straight there, um, but we'll kick it off. We'll talk New York jets. I think we can just keep it jet centric here for the first few minutes. We can talk about Garrett Wilson, of course, and what this means for, for, um, for Corey Davis, for Elijah Moore and, and so on. And then we'll, we'll also get into Brees Hall, Michael Carter, and then we'll just keep on rolling from there. But you know, what, what is, Garrett Wilson's addition to, to this Jets offense signify to you? 
um, as it pertains to guys like Elijah Moore and, and Corey Davis? Well, the disclaimer there is I'm probably a little lower on Garrett Wilson than most people, like as a prospect and uh, certainly landing with the Jets didn't make me any more optimistic. And part of that is that I'm a little skeptical. Uh, I'm a lot skeptical of Zach Wilson. And I'm also a pretty big believer in Elijah Moore. Like I don't think Garrett Wilson is a better prospect than Elijah Moore. And a lot of people, um, probably the consensus assumption is like Elijah Moore is in trouble. He's out of the picture, you know, not out of the picture, but he's second in line now, third in line, depending on where Corey Davis ranks. And I think that's wrong. I think it's much more likely that Garrett Wilson is the fourth receiver on the Jets, which already has like a small pie to distribute. And granted, Corey Davis is so injury prone. Fourth on the Jets might mean still 750 snaps, something more than that even. But uh, Elijah Moore can do anything that Garrett Wilson can, other than be 5'10", I guess. He's 5'9". But otherwise, they're basically the same. Um, I don't see a meaningful distinction between them, actually. And when Elijah Moore has a year of advantage, both in the NFL and just kind of being older in general than Garrett Wilson, I think it's pretty much unfair to expect Garrett Wilson to be as good as him from day one. Uh, he's not as he, he's newer to the organization. He's maybe not even better in general. And he's a year younger. So uh, he a year from now, I would expect to be as good as Elijah Moore now. But right now I don't. So. Uh, even if Corey Davis gets hurt, I have some concerns about how they would handle their personnel from that point. Because Corey Davis, you know, 6'3", 215 or whatever, very different body type than Elijah Moore, who's tiny, Garrett Wilson, who's barely more than tiny. And then Braxton Barrios is going to take a lot of slot snaps with them. So um, if the slot is where Wilson needs to get on the field because Moore is outside and Corey Davis is outside, I think Barrios could block him out a bit too, especially, you know, the first half of the season, something like that. I don't think Barrios is a bum or anything. He, he might be pretty good actually. So I thought the selection of Garrett Wilson was the kind of thing that a team in the Jets position makes as kind of like, given the number of picks they had anyway, kind of a luxury pick. Obviously they're not, they're not a luxurious team. Nothing's very good or fancy or high quality over there, but they kind of had just a lot of picks, a lot of money to spend. And they're just kind of like, what are we going to do with this? Hey, Garrett Wilson's good. Why not take him? I don't think they were like, Oh, we're going to build on Garrett Wilson year one. I, I think that's actually pretty naive. So, I, so I, I would imagine I haven't, I haven't looked at the ADP data just yet from, from, you know, how it's calibrated out since, since the draft, but I, I, I'm getting the sense that Elijah Moore is going to be a steal. Yeah, I haven't looked at the ADP either. And if I might be mischaracterizing it, maybe Elijah Moore is actually way ahead of Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis. But if people are fading Elijah Moore, I'm pretty high on him, even with Zach Wilson there. I just I just think Moore pretty clearly is one of the best receiver prospects in the league. And I, I would be shocked if he's anything other than, you know, just a safely above average start. Like if he doesn't have two or three 100 catch seasons in his career, I'll be pretty disappointed and that's that's not I'm not saying that with with the assumption of like, oh, Garrett Wilson will always be in his shadow. I'm not even I'm not even really thinking about Wilson relative to that. It just seems like an inevitable kind of player to me. So uh, granted, the Jets, if they only throw for like thirty eight hundred yards, that's a big problem, especially since they have two. I assume Rucker, the, the tight end from Ohio State, basically won't play, but they have a lot of talent, a lot more talent at the pass catching uh, reps than they do like an ability to project much passing game volume from the quarterback. So 
somebody's getting pinched. Maybe all of them do. Maybe there's no good target here. But if I am taking one, it's probably more. Yeah, uh, that, that's how I'm approaching it as well. Like, I, I do like Garrett Wilson as a prospect and, and, you know, like to not not put words in your mouth necessarily or, or anything like that. But like you, 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 it's not like you think Wilson stinks. It's just like maybe no. like the it's just a, like a little bit over overblown. Tough competition. Right, exactly. So, so small pie and tough competition. Yep, and and, you know the Zach Wilson variable, you know, could just kind of make all of this moot anyway if if he doesn't, you know, make or make any strides this year. So, and if he does get better, I guess that's that's maybe the easiest way I would be wrong about Wilson because if if uh, Garrett Wilson, uh, if if I'm wrong about Zach Wilson, also I'm probably wrong about Garrett. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so someone on Twitter said that one, one of those guys needs to get the, get the hyphen going because this is going to get confusing in a, in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, well, Zach Wilson's Polynesian, so he, he has some other one of those names you can probably add on, disclose yeah. rather. Zach, Zach Wilson, Tonga Vailoa. <laughs> um, st- sticking on the Jets, we just talked about their, their pass catching core. Reese Hall, the addition uh, in, in the second round. I, I think a, a lot of people expected Reese Hall, of course, to be the first running back off the board in, in an early second round pick. Both of those things came to fruition. I don't think a lot of people penciled in the Jets as being the ones to take that plunge, especially that early after Michael Carter showed some promise a year ago. So That's so funny because it was like, why wouldn't you think the Jets would take him? They have all these extra picks. They they already invested in these other positions. They can't, they can't put more on the off. Well, I guess they could have taken a left tackle. Um, but I don't think it was like Raymond was the best one there and he fell to the third round. So, uh, it's just so funny to me, the way people are not people, they're not people, but the, the things that talk about, uh, trading up for a running back in the second round or drafting a running back in a second round is always being bad and just losing their minds, throwing a big temper tantrum about Brees Hall going in the second round. And I want people to understand what they're mad about. It's not that they think Brees Hall is bad. It's not even that they think that this is going to work out poorly for the Jets. They're just ideologically opposed to raising the median pay of running backs. And Brees Hall, they hate because they recognize him for talented. And it's not that they believe running backs don't matter. It's that they're committed to instituting uh, like a, a norm normative environment where running backs are disregarded and marginalized. It's a demand or a threat rather than a belief. So when they see Brees Hall, they get pissed off and feel threatened because he's a a problem for their hypothesis, which is that you should never pay running backs and that a good running back is useless. He's about to prove why they are uh, ideologically compromised frauds because the Jets are going to get better for having Brees Hall. And, And the really frustrating thing to me about this is if you think if you just think for a second about being a running, being an NFL team, that's an underdog who doesn't have a good quarterback and can't otherwise acquire one. The quickest way to make yourself more competitive is to be able to run the ball better. And I know it's better uh, if all else is equal to throw the ball than pass, but in a league where quarterbacks are scarce, why would you hammer the assumption that you should always throw more? That's ridiculous. You should throw more when your quarterback's good. The better your quarterback is, the more you should throw. The worse your quarterback is, the less likely you are to compete over a longer sample against teams that do have good quarterbacks. So in the Jets position, what that means is what you have to do if you want to win, and we do, they don't, but if you want to win, you have to get the game shortened so that the luck element becomes greater. You make the game shorter because you know you can't compete over a longer sample. Brees Hall is how the Jets compete this year. Not that they can, but that's every team's intention, basically, aside from tanking ones. 
They want to compete. And these anti-running back people don't. They don't care about winning. They care about driving down the median pay. Brees Hall is a problem for them. That's their objection. No one has any problem with Brees Hall on the field. There's no substantive argument against it. See, exactly. So, like, you know, that that reminds me of, you know, like the 2020 Cleveland Browns, where, (laughs) where, you know, like Baker Mayfield – like I think that he and they just said Baker Mayfield was good. That's that's what the, that's what the response in this is. When Derrick Henry proves them wrong, when Nick Chubb proves them wrong, they just say actually Baker Mayfield's elite and Ryan Tannehill's elite. They're better than Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. That's how they adjust when that happens. They're, so they're even so good when they're wrong, play they're why do you think right? play action works so well? When when uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. but why does play action work so well? Well, maybe it has something to do with teams being scared to death of your run game. Yeah, but John, when you run the uh, when you you select a sample of thirty thousand plays where you, uh, sorry, 30,000 case studies where you flatten the sample uh, to, to, to have so many cases of bad players with the good ones that you say, see, the line doesn't go up or down depending on the running back talent. That proves that having running back talent has no point. And I'm joking, of course, these, these, are, these are absurd things to say, but uh, there's a reason why people are so stupid now at scouting running backs. And it's because a, a, a logical conclusion, like a necessary logical conclusion of the belief that running backs don't matter is also that there's no dis- difference between a bad running back and a good running back. So now people can't tell either. And I, I think like an interesting corollary off of that is that, you know, that people get getting so mad about Brees Hall be, being an early second round pick. And then they get, I think people are a little too excited about Kenneth Walker at the same time. Um, In the, in the dynasty fantasy community, maybe. Uh, it seems like in the general media that pick got slammed a lot, but uh, okay. I I I thought it was a weird pick just because I, I have such a low opinion of the Seattle defense, but I like Walker. Um, I'm not I'm not like uh, I I think he's clearly below Hall. I guess I should start with, but I still like Walker. I just don't think he's a he's like a he, he's not the kind of guy that I really feel totally certain about. Some players I do. I I, I am optimistic with him but I'm not as sold with Hall. Like Hall, I, I don't see any conceivable scenario where he fails. Whereas with Walker, he does have that uh, like non-applicable grade as a pass catcher. I don't think you can give him like an F or whatever because he didn't have the opportunity to prove whether he was bad or good. So it's an unknown, uh, which is not as good as a known positive. It's better than a known negative. Um, but it, it's, it's, uh, all known positives in the case of Brees Hall is, is, is how I would distinguish them. With that said, even if you doubt Kenneth Walker as kind of like an NFL viable fantasy, valuable, uh, viable running back, questioning his ability to run away from people with the football seems pretty ridiculous. I don't, I don't know how a person could take that up. So the people who hate the Walker pick most are mostly just ideologically committed to saying you, you should never run no matter how good the results are and, no matter how good Walker's results are, they're just, they're just opposed to it on those grounds. You can ignore those people. Um, but yeah, the people who say, or the people who are kind of like assuming on the basis of draft capital, that Walker is something like a, whatever, top 10 dynasty running back or something. That's also way too aggressive. He's, he's, he's a high volatility, like speculative asset right now, because uh, if Rashad Penny gets hurt or if Rashad Penny just leave Seattle next year. Yeah. Kenneth Walker could go nuts. And it, it, you don't even, even, you don't have to think he's even that good to imagine him putting up big numbers and just on a Seattle team that runs a lot. If he's the guy they choose to run with, but Rashad Penny, I happen to believe is very talented. And if he doesn't get hurt, I don't know if there's going to be that much for Walker to do, especially not that's you know, this year. 
So yeah, that that's the thing is you know how does this impact what, what uh, Penny and, and to I guess a, a lesser extent Chris Carson like it is Chris Carson got to be out on Carson right like that I, that, I would that's imagine the only so. way they can justify that pick right so but I don't so, know that so I guess I, sh- I shouldn't just say it but um I don't know what the hell else they'd be thinking right yeah yeah I mean we're just you know re- reading the tea leaves there but at the same time um you know Carson the the, the injury has I mean the injury history for for both the veterans in the, in that backfield is is pretty extensive yeah so you know you get you got Carson coming off you know what's a, what's a pretty uh He's been hurt for like six years in a row. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even at Oklahoma State, he didn't start. Justice Hill started over him because Carson was hurt in August, you know? See, exactly. So I I guess just reshaping the the Seattle backfield, like I I think we go into the year with with Penny still as the lead guy, but I think Walker gets on the field and and Carson's probably the the one that ends up getting pinched. And then uh, circling back quickly on, on the Jets question. So what do you do with Michael Carter? Oh, right. So I was maybe a little lower on Carter than as a prospect than some people, but I, I thought he was a great pick in the fourth round. It was just like, yeah, there was a point in time where people were litigating whether even like ETN was better than Carter, which, you know, that that will drive me insane. But when someone's like, hey, Michael Carter is a good third, late second round pick, I'd agree. So when he went in the fourth, I was like, damn, that's a totally nice pick for the Jets. In his rookie year, I, I know people might look at like 4.3 yards for carry. They might. I don't know, look at the, the drop rate that he had or find concern there. I don't find any concern. I think he was, if anything, thrown into a bit too featured of a role in his rookie year. And he got hurt. Uh, or was was he sick? I can't remember what, what the disruption came up in the middle of the year, obviously. And he, he was hot before that and then got cold uh, because he had this uh, missed time. And then he, the, he had the Jacksonville game with the big game and didn't really do much else, but back around uh, the midpoint of the season, it looked like Michael Carter might've been, I don't know, like a top 12 fantasy back, uh, at least in point per reception leagues. He had nine catches for 95 yards against the Bengals. Games like that are really stand out to me. Like I, I really want to see not just efficient production over a modest sample uh, in a game by game basis. I want to see players dominate games. And Carter did that last year, even on a bad offense. So the thing with him is he will probably burn out if you overwork him because he's only like 5'8", 204 or whatever. So I know I know uh, there, there are some exceptions, and like McCaffrey, I guess, is is maybe one of them, although he added so much mass since he was drafted. I don't know if, if that example even holds either. Um, but generally, if a guy's only about 200 pounds, you can't put more than 25, 30 snaps on him in a game. And they were giving Carter every snap he could handle because he was by far their best player from scrimmage. Hall gives them the luxury of keeping Carter at that 2025 and he'll be very busy when he's on the field. So maybe he only plays a third of the snaps, but I think he'll still get eight carries and three catches uh, most weeks, even if Hall is getting, and, and by the way, I don't think Hall's going to be like a 25 carry player. I think he's gonna be like a 16 to 20 carry player who catches three to four passes. And that will account for basically two thirds of their snaps or, uh, you know, 60% of their snaps and Carter will take basically everything else. And if they are a run heavy team, and especially if their defense is better than we expect, that could easily be enough for both of them, uh, assuming their ADPs are, you know, uh, adjusted accordingly. Yeah, I, I, I am interested to see how the pass catching di- distribution goes, because Hall is really a, an adept pass catcher. And, you, you know, I, I think, you you know, you brought up how you can take a cursory glance at, at Carter's 
pass catching numbers from from a year ago. Look look at the drop rate. Look at the the low catch rate for for his position and be like, oh, you know, like is he not good at this? He did catch seventy one of eighty three targets at North Carolina. So like, yeah, and you got to look at the team baseline with things like that. The Jets threw a lot of incomplete passes. That was not a Carter thing. That was a Jets thing. Mm-hmm. So so I I do think that Carter d- does have good pass catching. Skills. Like we already saw with Cleveland that this format can work. It's mm-hmm. it's the people who are like, oh, it's, I just don't I just don't know how you're you're pretending to be stupid or you are stupid because you already saw it work. See, so um, this this absolutely can work. Um, and, and yeah, I, I don't think that Hall was a wasted pick. I think probably in all it, it was the best pick, pick they could make. Absolutely. Or maybe a receiver. I can't remember if there was some other player that I liked a lot, but Hall is the obvious pick at that spot to make them more competitive as a team. And the people who are trying to hawk uh, this, this fake version of war on you are, are not willing to concede that uh, consider that. And uh, that's, that's just because they, they won't give him credit no matter how good he is. Yeah. Try, try, and, you know, go, go in the alternative route and, and, you know, saying that, you know, what just, with, with no shadow of a doubt that it's better for Zach Wilson to be throwing it 40 times a game or something. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Bad quarterbacks should throw the ball more. That's, that's some, why don't we rake these people over the coals for that one ever? That's something they literally believe. Uh-huh. That's not me putting words in that. They think even if your quarterback is the worst, you should never run. That's yeah, them. Just, Let them explain themselves on that one, but they never had to. Why, why the hell do they not have to explain that? That's ridiculous. Hmm. Well, they, anyway, they, they, that's what they believe. They're pretty. So that's what they believe. Let's move on over to the Giants. They they made kind of a surprising selection. We we talked about it a bit on, on Monday with, with Wandale Robinson early in the, in the second round. So what where does he fit in, in what you you expect to be their their receiver loadout? Um, I, I I think just kind of right off the top of my head, I, I would imagine that this is a an indictment of where, where they are with Kadarius Tony and and b potentially like a you know a, an immediate replacement ish. For, for him like it wouldn't shock me at this point given that the the, the Giants were, were gung-ho on on Robinson and, and took him way earlier than they had to um I, I could see Tony in a different uniform by August he's gone yeah I don't know what the issue is with Tony and I don't know where he might go or I don't know if it's if this is a case of him having a red flag or more just kind of incidentally not getting along with the team but it's not looking that great in his case. And the Wandale Robinson selection made it look that much more concerning for Tony because um, that, that pick showed that they are just done with him. And to be so conclusively done with Tony this early on is, uh, I don't know. I'm not encouraged by that. Uh, maybe, maybe Dable is just kind of wrong. Maybe they're misjudging Tony. Maybe the team that gets him next is going to make out like bandits because of this error that the giants made. Um, but they, whatever else might be true, spent a second round pick on a five, eight receiver who is not a burner. Like he's, he's fast. He's, he's, uh, he's, you know, four, 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 that's, that's real speed. But when you're five, eight, you need to be one of the very fastest players on the field. I would assume to, to project conventionally well. And Wandale is a tough one for me because first of all, I didn't realize he was five, five early in the draft process. He was listed at five eleven. Sorry, five yeah. nine, five eight. He is. He measured in at. He's five eleven on the uh, height weight of of uh, I think Nebraska too, but definitely the Kentucky height weight. Uh, sorry, uh, roster page. He had he had at five eleven. So it's a five eight flat at the combine. Like you see cases sometimes where it's like a guy's like 
five nine and five eights and they listed him at five eleven or something like that but five eight flat and they listed him at a full three inches higher so the, the problem with that is it just limits the the number of uh rep types he can step in at and because he doesn't have Tyreek Hill kind of speed that's the one exception by the way to the five eight rule is basically Tyreek Hill Tyreek Hill is the fastest player in NFL history and maybe the quickest too so uh, granted, he d- Wandale Robinson does not need to be Tyreek Hill to justify that pick. If the problem is there's no in-between case study. It's like the closest in-between case study lately is Jalen Darden, who we don't have a verdict on him, but his rookie year, he did nothing. So pretty similar kind of athlete, similar kind of producer in college. Um, and by the way, Wandale was awesome in college. He was so productive, both at Nebraska and Kentucky. So productive, I, I was actually considering him a potential first round pick before that five, eight came in. Um, if he had been five eleven or five ten, I think Wandale would have been a worthwhile first round pick. But um, on the case study basis, not that I have an ex, I don't have an explanation of why five, eight is the, is the cliff. You know, I don't know why there's five, nine guys like Elijah Moore who are good. And then the only five, eight guy that's good is Tyreek. Maybe it's just a lack of uh, candidates and maybe Wandale kind of, clears out some room for other kinds of five, eight receivers to prove themselves with this. But in the meantime, at the very least, if he is a good pick for the giants and if he is productive, he would be the first of his type because he's not a four, two guy. He's only four, four at five, eight, four, four, four more specifically. So like a mid four, four. So it, as it pertains to the, to the rest of the giants, you know, is Shepard like his role pretty safe. You would imagine that even though he's a, a more of a slot guy, like it, can, I feel like I, Kenny Galladay is just not a good fit in New York. I don't think, but they're uh, stuck maybe. with him another year, I think. Yeah. And it sounded, it sounded like they were maybe trying to move Darius Slayton, which would make enough sense. I like Slayton by the way, but it's just kind of like, they don't really have the reps for him. And they, they have this, they have Sterling Shepard for another year. I wouldn't be surprised if Shepard is a starting outside receiver opposite uh, Kenny Galladay. And it's just, they use him on kind of like a lower depth of target than the prior giants did the prior Giants regimes did with their outside receivers. So you might see, I mean, you might see them try to use Sterling Shepard as like a low average depth of target outside receiver, displacing Slayton from the starting lineup. Wandale Robinson might step into the slot where Shepard used to be and Tony used to be. And then Galladay at the other outside spot is, I guess, how I would anticipate it right now. Okay. So with with, with that, I mean, I don't know how much, either Kenny G or Slayton or I'm sorry, Shepard were, were like on your redraft radar for this year, but I like them, them both bit, as but... players, but it's like, I don't know. And I, I like Dable too, I guess I should say, I, I, not that I'm trying to take credit away from the, the bills that are still there, but I do think Dable was a pretty crucial part of that team finding itself. And I, I am optimistic for Dable. Like, I guess I trust him about as much as any new coaching hire. Uh, but uh, yeah, I am not sold on Daniel Jones, even if he gets some sort of like Dable bump uh, from that system. I, I'm not really, not really buying into Daniel Jones supporting a pass catching network. Uh, if any any particular person, no matter how good they are, no, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's 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 something that uh, I think pretty much everyone can can get down with. Um, let's move on over to to Pittsburgh, so that there's a lot of new in Pittsburgh, both with, with them, you know, with, they've moved on from, from Ben Roethlisberger, of course, or he's moved on, however you want to slice it. And then, uh, you know, Mitchell Trubisky comes in, they go ahead and spend the first round pick on Kenny Pickett. 
And then they go ahead and they they add some more guys. It, um, the, you know, they have James Washington is gone, by the way. And then you you add George Pickens to the mix, and then you also add a guy like Calvin Austin. They they brought in Miles Boykin, who I think is just special teams only, essentially. So that that doesn't really change anything. But as it pertains to you know Juju Smith Schuster, James Washington being gone, you you plug back in. Uh, George Pickens, Calvin Austin, two very different players, you know, for, for the record, Austin, you know, just he, he, you know, again, there's no Tyreek Hill, but, you know, as far as being that, that small, extremely fast guy that they can play on the outside, like that is Calvin Austin. Like they didn't use him in the, in the slot at Memphis and he, you know, carried that, that passing game over these last couple of years. So he's really unique kind of prospect. And then Pickens more like your conventional he looks like he can develop in, into a number one, but you have Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool as well. So do, do things stay status quo as far as uh, the Claypool-Deontay one-two combo goes, you think? So I happen to think there's a lot up for renegotiation in, in the Pittsburgh offense and the way it functions. I know that it, it's it's true to say that I was not – like a Deontay Johnson fan. I didn't anticipate him getting as many targets as he did over the last two years. So that I guess needs to be taken into account. But when I watched that Steelers offense, the last two years, I thought it was inescapably obvious that Ben Roethlisberger was forcing targets to Deontay Johnson. Just if only for the mere fact that Deontay Johnson never played in the slot. And what what I'm talking about is, He played outside, I think generally on the left, but almost always outside. And Ben Roethlisberger could not throw to the middle of the field where Juju Smith-Schuster was. And uh, not just not just like in the middle of the field generally, but specifically in that like uh, five to 12 yard range. Roethlisberger did not have the release quickness or the throwing velocity to get it past the like linebackers that you would usually see just kind of sitting in basic middle of the field zone coverage. And I think because Roethlisberger would look at the play and he, he just kind of at the snap, uh, right after the snap, I should say so many times you would see Roethlisberger just look at the field for a second and then just say, Nope. And then look at Johnson and just chuck it at him. Mm -hmm. And Deontay Johnson made a lot of those plays because he's a good receiver, but his efficiency both years was a liability. Like it was below baseline. It was the kind of behavior that an offense resorts to, when it can't function and it just needs to do what it can. And um, Roethlisberger's choices, I think, were throwing it over the middle to Juju, uh, which the few times that – not a few times, but the times that he did it, he was regularly giving him hospital balls. Like Juju's misuser was getting hurt all the time because Ben couldn't get it to the middle of the field without telegraphing it ahead of time or throwing the ball too slowly so that the defender could get there and clobber Juju. Deontay Johnson was always on the outside always in single coverage and Ben Roethlisberger would just get the snap, throw it at him. And I don't think those plays are going to be there anymore with Mitchell Trubisky, Trubisky or Pickett really. They're more likely to try to go to the middle of the field. And Deontay Johnson to this point has not been used there. The selection of George Pickens makes me think he definitely won't anymore. And maybe they could, but uh, that would be basically rebranding his a slot receiver, which he has not been. He's only been outside uh, to this point. So I think Chase Claypool is going to be your primary slot receiver in this offense. And I could imagine him being quite good at it. Um, you know, aside from whatever limitations the quarterbacks pose to him and George Pickens in that case, I would expect to take the other outside rep, the one um, on the right side that, uh, you know, late in the year that when, when, when Tomlin had Claypool in the doghouse, 
they were giving Ray Ray McLeod, excuse me, a lot of the slot snaps. And uh, at worst, any of those plays that still exist should go to like Austin. But I think Claypool being there at this point means hopefully that he's like out of the, out of the doghouse, you know, maybe a little more mature a year later. Uh, I think he could take that slot role and really thrive with it. And in whatever else happens, I really expect Pickens to force his way onto the field at an outside spot. Uh, he was an awesome true freshman player at Georgia. Their clear lead receiver, even when they had like 24 year old Lawrence Cager and players like that, uh, he was 18 and he just made them all just bums right off the bat. So I would be shocked if Pickens got to Pittsburgh and they were just like, Oh, you're, you're going red shirt. You're going on the bench. Like, I don't think he's that kind of player. I think he will force his way onto the field day one. So we think, and, and I think it, the way that you put it, it was really interesting where it's like there, there's just a lot of re-up for negotiation when, when it comes to this offense. It's not going to look like it has. It won't. So a, as a result, you know, I, I think it's not just the additions of Pickens and, and Austin, but just simply they're not being Ben Roethlisberger there anymore. In late stage, Ben Roethlisberger, one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever watched, really. Just, just <laughs> tough scene after tough scene. It was yeah, like the they, scenario of just like, what if, what if you that guy, you know, at your that bar you go to, or your, your buddy who you grill with, uh, what if, what if he, you know, having the genius brain of a quarterback, like, but get on the field in the NFL, that that thing, really, if I just, if I was just like a little faster, I could, I could have been a star. Like that guy who is not a little faster, a little more in shape, uh, was basically Ben Roethlisberger for the Steelers last two years. Like he, he was, he was still a football genius but he could not play like he just could not do it. He didn't physically, he, he might've struggled in a lot of flag football leagues, let alone the NFL. So For real. Uh, yeah, it was brutal. So, um, so yeah, I, I just, I, I think that Deontay Johnson and again, it, that this goes a little bit outside of, of what we're tr- trying to establish here as far as like what the, what the rookies impact is on, on the, um, on the veterans, but with, with Pittsburgh, there's just so much new, going on to where like you don't expect him to, to have like that 27% target share the way that, that he has. If they move uh, him in the slot, I would actually take that as encouraging. I'm just skeptical that they will. I think it's Claypool there. And then uh Crackshot adds in the, the Pat, Pat Fryermuth, um, you know, so he, I mean, he's, he's someone that they, you know, spent what the second round pick on last year. And I thought he looked good, you know, he was so. awesome. I thought, especially because of how bad Roethlisberger was. And by the way, like someone might reasonably point out that, uh, well, Roethlisberger threw to Fryermuth in the middle of the field all the time, and the reason he did is because Fryermuth is six five to fifty five, and mm-hmm. Juju Smith-Schuster, any receiver, is not that. So, yeah, Roethlisberger had issues with getting the ball out, getting his feet set fast enough to get the ball out, and such, and that 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 I think diverted targets from the middle of the field to the outside. But yeah, if you have a 6'5", 250 guy, you can afford to get the ball out a little later. You can afford to miss a little bit more because the target is so much bigger. And here's one more thing. Najee Harris had 94 targets last year. So it was a dump-off offense. Not Maybe not the case this time around. So, I mean, how, how yeah, much it'll be like it'll be like that catching sh- projection? Like Trubisky has to check down and stuff like that, but he just like can't do it. <laughs> you know, like they're going to, they're just, there's just going to be like, the more Trubisky plays, the more there's going to be just kind of chaos. And even with Pickett, I don't know if it's, if it's going to be any different because he showed a lot of that tendency too to just kind of like thrive on broken plays. Whereas with Roethlisberger, 
I mean, every other detail was bad with him, I guess, but you cannot doubt his, his like genius as a football player. Like he was always aware of everything and just right about everything. And he, he still uh, managed to stay on the field in the NFL for that reason. Uh, even though he just, you know, clearly could not play anymore. Right. So, um, yeah, the, kept things on script. He did. Yeah, I just I don't see. You know, it was. It's they, like an improvised jazz offense now, whereas before they were very, you know, well conducted and, and yeah, they were on. extremely. It was like an extremely hemmed in pop song that does not uh, go outside of of these like you know pre pre negotiated boxes. And now they're just twenty uh, five minute drum solos. <laughs> Looking forward to to maybe seeing one of those uh, going to a concert this evening. Although I don't think this is the type of band that does uh, freeform drum solo odysseys. Uh, going to see Built to, Built to Spill. Oh hell yeah! Rock and Great roll band. Man. Great band. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, let's let's move on elsewhere. Let's see what what else we got here. Okay, one that that's a little bit. Uh, I think we can shut shut the case on on this one fairly fast but a lot of people are are uh claiming antonio gibson to be dust as a result of brian robinson i would say don't underestimate the stupidity of the washington team ron rivera scott turner uh rich kid nepotism case doesn't know anything uh that's that's bad none of that is good the team is run by you know satan it's there's a lot of things that are bad that can go wrong with that team but don't let brian robinson change anything for you in my opinion um there's there's a few things to keep in mind one is that as much as you know fantasy people and people who read certainly analytics type literature they'll 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 never understand this, but a lot of coaches, especially head coaches simply love to have running back depth. They remember running backs getting hurt. You know, that, that was the whole you know thing initially, like running backs are so fragile. They get hurt so much. They're not worth good investments. NFL coaches, especially older coaches look at that fact and have the opposite reaction that like the, the so-called analytics people do. They don't say let's spend less on running backs. They say we need more running backs. Therefore, you know, like that's that's the way they take it. So they were acting on that premise, I think, when they took Brian Robinson, because they want to run between the tackles. They want a 220 pounder between the tackles at all times. Gibson is that when he's healthy. Last year, he played on a cracked shin all year because they didn't have another 220 pounder. So I think they took Robinson basically so they can have the luxury of putting Antonio Gibson on the bench if he has a cracked shin. And if they want to make it up to a question of merit, leave it a competition between the two, that's even better because Robinson won't play. If they have a competition between Gibson and Robinson, Robinson will never play. Robinson will play if Gibson is hurt, but that's the only time he'll play. Robinson was what the worst. He, I, I know I mentioned Glenn coffee and Shad Williams on the last podcast. That was awesome. I can't remember it, like clearly Robinson is a worse prospect than Kenyon Drake, clearly a worse prospect, like way, like way dating back to the Saban era, basically. Cause you know, they, they had Mark Ingram, you know, Yeldon. Um, I was going to uh, say our, our guy, Eddie Lacey was a far Lacey was, was so much better than Robinson and, and Yeldon who, by the way, was a dominant college player still sucked in the NFL. 
he was much better than Robinson too. So if Yeldon couldn't cut it, what the hell reason does anyone have to think that Robinson, who, by the way, if it wasn't for COVID giving him a fifth year, he would have had what, like a career high single season yardage count of like 300 yards at Alabama in his first four years. He's a fifth year, four year backup. Figure it out. He's not going to play in the NFL unless two or three other people are hurt. If you're going to let Robinson I work. Do, I don't think that, that Robinson sees as much care. Like, I don't think Alabama went into last year wanting to have Brian no. Robinson run as much. They just had a ton of injuries in their backfield. Like they, they only had like two healthy scholarship running backs for the national. He's a practice team. squad player. He's not going to play in the NFL. I don't know why like, people just see the draft capital thing. And they're just like, Oh, I guess he's going to be good. No, he is not. And if you cared about running backs enough to look at them at all, you would see why there's a distinction between Brian Robinson and this LSU back or someone like Brees Hall or someone like Kenneth Walker. There are, there are worlds between them, worlds between them. Robinson did not, he, he he wasn't worth picking at any round, any draft pick. He's not worth picking. He's not worth signing as an undrafted free agent unless you just have uh, camp bodies that you need. He will not play much in the NFL. And if you're going to worry about Brian Robinson with Antonio Gibson, you you would spend your time better worrying about Jarrett Patterson. Yeah, there it is. Or Jonathan Williams. Jonathan Williams. My God, can you imagine comparing Jonathan Williams out of Arkansas versus Brian Robinson? Jonathan Williams is clearly better. Robinson will be lucky to make the practice squad. Yep. So, so uh, no worries there um, as far as, as that goes. Um, let's uh, take a quick break here. Word from our sponsors over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. And a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Do you love fantasy sports? 
Are you ready for a new challenge this year? Dynasty Owner is the new way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an actual franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique and challenging experience that will test your skills as an owner and general manager. You will have complete control over your team's future. You can build through the draft, make trades, sign free agents, and manage your team's salary cap. Can you create a dynasty of champions? Sign up now at dynastyowner.com and start building your dynasty today. So in the end, uh, Brian Robinson, not the threat to, to Antonio Gibson. Uh, health, the, the the big threat to, to Antonio Gibson. Uh, Absolutely. Is, is kind of the, the verdict and there. And fumbles. I guess to be fair, the fumbles, he does need to stop doing that. But he was a wide receiver until like 20 months ago. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the spec on on one Jared Patterson. Um, that, that guy was... He can run. Crazy. Robinson can't, but Patterson can run. There it is. Um I want to shift over to quarterback just for a, a moment. I, I know this is this class isn't particularly great with them, but I feel it. it Sam Darnold will, will do this to himself, and I, I don't think anyone will, like is really like uh, over over the moon to try to like get Darnold even as like their quarterback three in best ball type of deal. But try not to. <laughs> I, I could see Corral taking over suit like pretty soon especially like relative to what to you know him being a, a later round draft selection yeah they're gonna put Corral on the field this year I expect it to last about 80 snaps something like that um I don't I don't know I don't think Coral can play in the NFL um I mean the Panthers did draft him so that that's not good either <laughs> but I think uh Darnold will get benched It'll just be out of a out of a combination of like desperation issues, like Matt Rule desperate to not get fired, even though he will be fired because he's a really bad coach who can't uh, do anything good for a team. He's a great uh, college coach. Like, just I don't know. I never understood the NFL appeal with him. I, to be fair, did not have any idea he would be this bad. But I, sure. I guess I just don't know how to. I mean, Carolina the difference, you know? went after the sexy guys or like the sexy names, you know, like, you know, Matt Rule go, goes to Baylor from Temple, you know, basically rebuilds. Baylor he, built, such- he built up Temple after pretty boy Al Golden blew it up, basically, even though everybody praised him the whole time for a stupid tie. Um, and then, yeah, Baylor was in Baylor was in hell before he got there and he built them up. So there's something in the college game that suits him. I don't know. I guess it has to do with. I don't know, recruiting or something. I don't know what the hell it is. I think, but. I think it, you, there is an element of culture building in, in college that, that just do, doesn't exist the same way. In, in Maybe the college NFL. coaches just suck. And so rule can look good there or something. The, even the, can, there's probably know. something to that too. And, and, you know, I, I think that, you know, that a, a huge L for in it, it, it just shouldn't have shook out this way, but like the Joe Brady, I can't believe how bad the Joe Brady thing went because I mean that may, maybe that is a, a case of just LSU just having it, an insane all-time offense or collection of talent to where it just simply took Joe Brady being like, why don't we just like give them the ball more? And yeah, that, and he got the genius label off of that. Right. In hindsight, it was definitely wrong to think he was a genius for having merely the best collection of offensive talent in college football history. Um, But yeah, Brady is such a weird case. We probably won't see another case like him. It sounds like he really was not prepared for the job. And that's kind of exactly what you would worry about when you say, 
a 30 year old who was an assistant passing game coordinator or whatever. And, you know, he literally did not do the job. And so he had to do a different job at a higher level and couldn't do it. Uh, the whispers out of Carolina were that he just straight up did not have any clue what he was doing. And it's like, well, that kind of makes sense. He didn't do, he didn't go up the rungs in the ladder, you know, he just like went from the bottom to the top. So yeah. uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he actually has like a resurgence in like five years just because he actually gets the chance to develop as a coach. But in the meantime, it, it couldn't have gone much worse. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, maybe at the, at the end of the day, look, looking back, it, it's just like he Joe Brady was just slightly less worse than, than Cam Cameron and, and Steve Ensminger or whatever. And well, it just it simply unlocked that LSU offense. But he basically just got got them to get out of their own way. I will say this. I bet Brady couldn't have made Odell Beckham less productive than Jarvis Landry, like Cam Cameron did. But yeah, I, it, he was definitely bad, but I will say last thing on Brady, he was also, I think probably the victim of unfair expectations. So with that being true, I'm not really going to write the guy off. Exactly. I think like if he ever gets another shot, at like more an age appropriate point in his career, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a totally different coach by then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, 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 the book is not totally closed on him. It was just, but it is closed on the Panthers. They suck. They it's suck. sort of, do you ever watch uh, parks and rec? Uh, most of it, I think. So to me, maybe uh, here, here's a, an analogy. Joe Brady and his time with the Panthers is to um, uh, Ben uh, being the mayor of Ice Town or whatever, he like people keep people keep bringing up his his colossal failure when he was too young and and also the mayor of some city in Indiana. So I don't remember the reference, but that's actually very appropriate. I think. All right, so someone out there listening, watching, I, I'm sure we'll, we'll pick up on on that one. But uh, yeah, no, that, you're, you're right. I, I and the thing is, like, I watched that show and I just paid not enough attention uh but yeah that what you described now that you spelled it out for me like that that sounds very joe brady yep it's, it's how it was but you know he can still go on to be uh a a very good uh government level account I mean, look at lane kiffin you know see yeah like he was a total clown and with the the raiders but then when he got out of the spotlight he was like you know what i, I think i know what to do now you just had to spend some time in, in Boca Raton, man. Had to get that's based. It's yeah. all it needed. Um, you wanted to talk about some Patriots running backs, and I thought that was a good idea. Let's do it because I, I we're some real sickos around here. Yeah, <laughs> like we're going I to the thought Patriots that, backfield. The the combo of of Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson and James White, like I thought that was more than enough. Like I, I didn't think they needed to touch running back in in the draft. Um, so for that for them to add two guys who I think are both super talented. Like, I think that there is a borderline decent case to be made for, for Pierre Strong as, as the RB3, or at least a, a pretty strong case for, for him to be a top five running back in, in this class, you know, with the athletic tools, even though he played at, at, you know, a lower level of competition. And then Kevin Harris, you know, you, you basically just remove this past year from the sample, focus on, on what he did in 2020, and you, you can pretty easily convince yourself on him. Now it's just, I mean, it's just, they got too many guys. So like, I, what do you do with it with someone like a Damian Harris or a Ramondre Stevenson now that like these guys are there too? Huh. Yeah, I guess certain leagues might have different 
markets than others, but if I'm trying to guess what the general market would look like, I would assume if you have Damian Harris and or Stevenson, but especially Harris, you would want to hold. Uh, you, you're not going to get like an enthusiastic enough of a bidder to make it worth your time to consider moving them, in my opinion. And especially after the strong and Harris selections, like uh, there's probably I'm just assuming anyway, there's probably some kind of literature out there by now that like, oh, Damian Harris must not be long for the starting role. Uh, you know, I see it more as like they don't want to pay Damian Harris when he's a free agent after this year. So they have these guys to step up on rookie contracts. But someone might see it more as like Damian Harris isn't going to play this year. I think it's the opposite. I think Harris and Stevenson basically are locked in. And maybe James White's role is up to some kind of uh, consideration. Like maybe maybe Pierre Strong can push White out of the kind of like smaller pass catching specialist running back role. But those are the two running back subtypes in this offense. There's the power or the power viable running back, even if he's not specifically a power runner running between the tackles, that's Harrison Stevenson. And then there's that James white one. So uh, I, I don't know what the deal with white is at this point. I mean, he's getting up there in years, definitely a good player uh, throughout his career, but strong might be able to push him out. It, Belichick is weird with rookie running backs is the thing. And it's hard mm-hmm. to know how he's going to receive them. I'm shocked at how much he, re- he put Stevenson on the field and they were yanking his playing time a little bit. So they were, they were still showing some of that, uh, you know, like when when uh, Belichick benched Stephen Ridley for fumbling like two times in six weeks, it's like that that kind of thing could still happen to Stevenson, but I don't think it can happen to Harris. Harris can get hurt. That's the only thing. But I think otherwise they're going to run Harris pretty hard this year because um, they're just not going to be a passing offense. They're going to be an up tempo rushing offense, and that means they're going to need more than one running back, probably more than two. So Belichick is another case of that. Sorry, another example of that uh, thing that I was talking about before, where it's like some people look at the the injury proneness of running backs and say, therefore, you shouldn't invest at running back. And Belichick says, no, that's why I need five running backs. And Harris got hurt last year. They kept putting him out there, even though he was hurt. So I think they wanted that depth and they didn't have any good enough depth to give Harris rest last year. And now they're like trying to reach the point where they can. And in the meantime, I think they're going to run Harris into the ground, especially with free agency coming up and especially with them unlikely to pay him because they get a comp pick. The better he does, the higher contract he gets on the next team. So but almost like a maybe like a, a buy the dip type of situation when it, when it comes to, to with Harris. Yeah, I think he's a great dynasty target because people are thinking he's going to be a backup or whatever, or, you know, non clear starter this year, which I don't believe. And then I think if he has a big year as a starter with the Patriots, he might just be starting on some other team where he doesn't have any competition for touches and they, they feed him because they need to justify the contract. Um, but yeah, to, to go to the rookie specifically strong is interesting as a potential next James white and Kevin Harris. It's not great for his, his dynasty purposes or certainly his redraft, but I think they're just going to put him on IR and, you know, just use, use his injury. His he's currently got a, he had a hamstring thing flare up both times. He tried to run the 40 and he's got that back injury. So it wouldn't be shocking if Harris in training camp picks up some kind of injury and immediately they're just like, Oh, I are sorry. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get you back next year when Harris is on another team and, and hmm. uh, sorry, Damien is on another team. And I love Kevin Harris after that. I mean, I, I, I do not believe he will be a bench player in the NFL. He'll either be hurt or he's going to be starting eventually. There it is. Yeah, def- definitely a fan, a fan of Kevin Harrison. Uh, I would like to see Damian Harris go somewhere that 
you know, it's not going to be that crowded. I mean, wish like, why can't Miami, like, why can't they have been the, the one that to take, I don't know, one of these rookie running backs or they just spend their pick on freaking Eric Ezukanma or something. <laughs> that was a bad pick. Um, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, by the way, I got, I got to, anyone still listening, I got to say any eventual, uh, like windfall of credit for Kevin Harris breaking out has to go to John because I, I literally missed Kevin Harris in my like run through of the class until he mentioned it. And I was like, Oh my God, this is my favorite running back. Yeah. My favorite, my favorite running backs aside from Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker are probably, uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin Harris and uh freaking Isaiah Pacheco. <laughs> Well, thank you, sir. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, Kevin Harris. I mean, you had to be um, pretty deranged to watch South Carolina football in 2020, but it, if you did, if you're watching you did, him, you got you got sick. treated to. I he mean, sick. He, he's robusto, as Spencer Hall would say, and I agree with that. He's yeah, he's a hoss. Um, anyone else? Any other you know kind of interesting rookie veteran uh, type of. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, the, the 49ers backfield, that, that LSU running back, he's not going to play in the NFL. I'm sorry, he's not. He's going to play some special teams. He's going to play a couple 200, 300 snap seasons, mostly on other teams because the 49ers are probably going to have to cut him. Um, he's a practice squad player. Don't don't take him in dynasty unless you're going to flip him in the next like 10 days because it's only going to get worse with him. Yeah, and, it, it, you know, it, it, here's a quick – By Elijah Mitchell. Sorry, by Elijah Mitchell. There it is. Elijah Mitchell went uh, to uh, noted smart guy and wrote a wire guy, Jim Coventry in the third round oh, yeah. of, our, of our dynasty uh, startup mock. Uh, Jim doesn't recently. play. He knows. No. So uh, flag planted. Uh, for, got got a couple of San Francisco guys. He's got uh, both Debo from the first round and, and Elijah Mitchell. So I think he's picking eighth. Eighth. Yeah. So um, there you go. That, that So yes. Yes. On Elijah Mitchell. Don't worry about uh Tyrion Davis Price. Worry about uh, Sermon if you must find something to worry about. With yeah, Mitchell. to ring oh hands God. about. I hated. I, did, I was. I didn't hate Sermon. I hated the hype that Sermon got last year. Sermon is so much better than this LSU guy. It's not even close. It's it's preposterous that, that like if anyone's worried about Elijah Mitchell, they probably get their wallet. They they see the wallet inspector on like a daily basis. They're so <laughs> sick of that guy, but he keeps inspecting their wallet, and there's nothing they can do about it. <laughs> oh, that's so good. I, I think I think we can we can end it on on that note. That's uh, that was that was powerful. So uh, that's going to do it for us here on the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast, breaking down the NFL draft from the veteran uh, point of view, looking at some vets and, and how they're impacted by this cl- uh, past uh, rookie class. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening to the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast again, brought to you by friends. Over at Dynasty Owner. Try RotoWire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.